Well, I may not have been prepared at all to make the welcome and announcements, but hopefully the sermon will go a little bit more smoothly than that did. Okay. Let's start with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you that we can celebrate Christmas. Thank you that uh, we can uh, have these sets of Sundays each year when we celebrate the Advent season, the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that uh, this morning, as we spend time in your word, looking at some of the words of Jesus, that we will uh, have open hearts and minds to see what it is that uh, you have for us this morning. And uh, I pray that we can Find something that we can apply into our lives this week that will bring us closer to you and uh, help us reflect more accurately the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. When we were in Philippians a couple of months ago, one of the things we noted was that as Paul was writing this thank you letter for their ministry support, he was never actually able to get out the words Thank you. And he said lots of good, nice things, but it seemed like he tripped over those two magic words. It's like when you're apologizing to your spouse and you want to desperately avoid saying, I am sorry and leaving it that it's, you know, I am sorry that you and I am sorry if you and I am sorry, but no, just I am sorry or even worse. I was wrong. But before we write off Paul as a hopeless jerk, let's uh, remember that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is unlikely that he would have written scripture in such a boneheaded and tactless manner. When you look at Paul's other letters, there's a similar sort of pattern that seems to develop. Whenever he writes a letter to a church or to a person, he starts by thanking God for the work that God is doing in the lives of his recipients. So you never get anything like, What's up, Colossian homies? Long time no see you guys are off the chain. Instead, you end up with something convoluted like we always thank God for you whenever we pray for you because we have heard of your faith and your love and your hope. And so we are praying for you that. And then he flows into his letter from there. That's how the book of Colossians opens. And starting in the new year, we're going to be spending 10 weeks in the book of Colossians. So uh, mark it in your calendars, write it down and invite your friends because there are many New Year's resolutions that are going to be made over the next week and a half. And we all know that your coworkers diet isn't going to last, but maybe you can help them get back into church if they so desire. So putting those two things together, that Paul cannot seem to say thank you or hello in a normal manner, the way normal people would. I thought there might be something there for us in the area of giving and receiving. Since it was the Christmas season, it didn't take long to figure out that maybe we should talk about giving and receiving gifts. But as soon as I put that together in my mind, I had this dread of having to prepare and deliver that sermon, that sermon that I heard maybe almost every year growing up that goes something like this, that wise men came and gave gifts to Jesus. Wise men still seek him. If you want to be wise, maybe you should come and give gifts to Jesus. Maybe you should give him your heart and be generous with your money. Because after all, it's better to give than to receive. So really, it's in your own best interest to give Jesus Everything. Now, I'm sure the actual message wasn't quite so crude and moralistic as that, but to my immature mind, that's what I heard. And so I would feel guilty for a little bit and then go home and do Christmas as usual, filling up on eggnog and stockpiling the candy. And so we're not going to do that sermon. Instead, I want us to consider this morning why? Why should it be better to give than to receive? I can realize and acknowledge that it is true, but why should it be? 
uh, can recognize that while giving is, you know, receiving is nice and pleasant, giving can actually be a whole lot more fun and interesting. But God didn't have to make it that way. So why did he? Usually when you want to understand a verse like it is better to give than to receive, the best place to start is by looking at the context. Who said it? To whom? Why? For what purpose? Uh, so let's go to the book of Acts and chapter 20, verse 35. book of Acts is the story of, most of the book of Acts is the story of Paul and his missionary journeys spreading the gospel to places where it had not been. And in chapter 20, he's making his way from Greece back to uh, what we would now call Israel. He was passing close to Ephesus, one of his favorite churches, and he was not going to miss the opportunity to uh, share some parting greetings with the elders of the church in Ephesus because he knew he would not likely see them again. So he gives them some instructions. Work hard. Protect the gospel. Protect your church. Give your energy and your time and your resources and your very selves to your church. And then he finishes in verse 35. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, we have red letters here. Paul is quoting Jesus. So where in the four Gospels did Jesus say this? Where should we flip to see the original context? And the answer is nowhere. This statement of Jesus is not recorded in the Gospels. There's all sorts of stuff that he did and said that did not get recorded in those four short books. Now, there's no reason to doubt that he actually said it, especially because it seems like exactly the sort of backwards, upside down thing he was saying all the time. But unfortunately, we don't know the where or the when or why he said it. It just exists on its own like a uh, a principle or a proverb. And while the statement, it is uh, more blessed to give than to receive, or as we put it in our current English, it is better to give than to receive, it might seem a little bit counterintuitive at first glance, but uh, even those who do not acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior have come to recognize some of the truth of this statement. Your uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Oprah Winfrey and sports stars and movie stars, people of all sorts of morality and religion or none whatsoever have Uh, learned that it can be a lot of fun to give away cars by the dozen, which we are not doing here this morning at Prairie View. Sorry. All of the major world religions have some sort of almsgiving or charity or generosity built into them as virtues to be cultivated and held in contrast with the selfishness and self-centeredness and immaturity that only wants to receive. Anthropology, sociology, economics, they all have branches of those fields of study that are dedicated to exploring why almost every culture has some sort of gift giving and receiving custom or exchange or practice. I did a little bit of research early this week on uh, those different fields of study. I told myself I was doing research on that. Really more, I was just clicking around on Wikipedia while trying to put off the actual work of writing a sermon. But I did learn one useful thing. Mutual reciprocity benefits society. That's the expectation that I will give a gift to you, birthday and Christmas, and you will give a gift to me, birthday and Christmas, and we will both be better off. Not because we are 
enriching each other in some material fashion, because we're probably not, but because we are strengthening the ties that bind our society together and because we're providing a social safety net by redistributing wealth in a voluntary manner. Maybe you don't like the -the glow-in-the-dark garden gnome that I gave you, and I'm sure that I don't like the rubber ducky bow tie that you gave me, but repeated a thousand times across our city, we all come out ahead for having gone through this community exercise. Uh, But even though the university theorists can tell us that we really do all come out ahead, I think it goes a little bit deeper than simple self-interest. We're going to show a clip this morning from another classic Christmas movie that helps us see this point. Now, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I used the movie Elf, which is a Will Ferrell movie, and I felt bad about missing the opportunity to enrich you in a cultural way. So we're doing something a little more highbrow, a little more challenging, might be harder to uh, understand what's going on. Put your thinking caps on. Um, we're featuring a clip from Mary Madagascar. We will observe a discussion between Santa Claus on the right and King Julian on the left. All hail King Julian, self-proclaimed Lord of the Lemurs. And uh, King Julian in this scene, before this scene, has confiscated all the presents given by and to all the lemurs in observance of their festival holiday, Julianuary, where everybody's supposed to give gifts to his majesty, King Julian. And uh, the setting of this conversation is a plane which crashed earlier on the island. That explains just where they are. So let's watch Julian's epiphany unfold as uh, we watch this timeless masterpiece. On the 88th day of January, my true love sent to me a great big present for me. Oh, Amelia, did you ever feel like you were just wasting away? This is the worst January ever. Um... King Julian? Hello? Haven't you heard of knocking? I could have been naked in here. Uh, I'm sorry if I ruined your Julianuary. I don't understand. I have all the presents. Why do I feel so empty inside? I don't know, but back there, when we were all giving presents to each other, it was pretty good. Hey, why don't you give one to your girlfriend Amelia over there? I bet she'd like it. No, she's not my girlfriend. I don't want to. Okay, fine, I'll do it. Keep your chubby hands off. Here, Amelia. Mary Julian. <gasps> Look at the smile on Amelia. Ooh, making her feel good makes me feel good. Kind of warm and tingly on the inside. Like pinworm. Come, pinworm, we must share with the world what I have discovered. Okay. Obviously, this is a kids' movie franchise, so some of the lessons are laid on a little bit thick. I have all the presents, so why do I feel so empty on the inside? Well, maybe because life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Making others feel good makes me feel good. Giving presents to others makes me feel good. But why? Why does giving, giving something to somebody make me feel good? Why should that be? Is making yourself feel good a pure motive? Who is it that you're really caring about, caring about when you give for the purpose of making yourself feel good? Is giving just an enlightened form of selfishness? Classic worst case example of this would be Homer Simpson giving his wife Marge a bowling ball. 
Marge does not bowl. Marge will not take up bowling, or so Homer thinks, and so he feels at liberty to engrave a name on the ball, Homer. And so you can imagine how well that went over. Aaron and I put our heads together this week, and we came up with uh, what we think are 12 not-so-great reasons to give somebody a gift. So before you go ahead and give your true love that Sudoku toilet paper that you found online, consider and examine your motives as to whether you are giving uh, for any of these 12 not-quite-good-enough reasons. Now, the first four go together as a set and as a category. They are to change the way that somebody thinks about me. I am giving you 12th. I'm giving you this gift so that you will think of me as generous. By this gift, I am demonstrating that I am generous, probably more generous than you are. Right? Okay. Eleventh, I'm giving you this gift so that you will think of me as thoughtful. Because four years ago, you mentioned that you like Michael Buble. And look, here's his new Christmas CD. Aren't I amazingly attentive and thoughtful and smart? I'm so wonderful. Tenth is along the same lines. I'm giving you this gift so that you will think of me as the bigger man. I know we fought at Thanksgiving and things got a little out of control and you have a restraining order out against me. But to show you that I'm willing to forgive, be the bigger man, let bygones be bygones, receive now this gift from me. Ninth, I'm giving you this gift so that you will think of me as rich. How else could I afford to give you a set of diamond-encrusted disposable toothbrushes and a miniature giraffe? But don't worry about it. It's nothing. I'm rolling in it. Eighth, on a similar note, one-upsman shift. So, my sister gave you a $25 gift card? Well, here is a $27 gift card, because I can't let her win. Seventh, disposal. I'm giving you this fruitcake, because last year, somebody gave it to me, and I don't want it. So here, Merry Christmas. Sixth, atonement. I'm giving you this gift because I said some things behind your back, and some of them were pretty vicious, and you haven't found out yet. And now I'm kind of starting to feel bad. So to make myself feel better, I'm going to give you this gift for no reason that you need to worry about right now. Fifth, accumulating favors. Someday, I don't know when, I'm going to need something from you. I don't know what. But when that day comes, I want you to remember that I have given you this present. And the fourth is just like it, outright bribery. Someday, next week, I'm going to need something from you, and we both know what it is. On an unrelated topic, here's a present. Third, paying off debts. You did something for me, something nice, something gracious, something generous, and now I feel weird, like I owe you, even though you said not to worry about it. But I don't like it. I'm not any man's debtor. So here, take this gift. I insist. Second, second bad reason to give somebody a gift, because I want to fix you. I love you. You are beautiful. You are perfect just the way you are. Here's a gift certificate to a hair salon and a dress, two sizes too small, and a gym membership so that you can fit into it, because I'm sure you'll love that. Happy anniversary. And the number one reason that Aaron and I could come up with to uh, bad reason to give somebody a gift is social expediency. And I can't personally put this any better than Sheldon Cooper already did on uh, Big Bang Theory. And it goes like this. You bought me a present. Why would you do such a thing? I know you think you're being generous. Oh, good grief. I had it memorized and now I've lost it. I know you think you're being generous, but the foundation of gift giving is reciprocity. I know you think you've given me a gift but you've given me an obligation. 
The essence of the custom is now I have to go out and purchase for you a gift of commensurate value and representing the same perceived level of friendship as that represented by the gift you've given me. Okay, so 12 of those, some of them are pretty terrible, even criminal, and under the wrong circumstances might even be fatal. On the other hand, some of them are only kind of bad. Giving somebody a gift because it's Christmas and you ought to is not so terrible. It's just one of those things that we do as we try to learn how to integrate into polite society. And hopefully it's just a temporary measure on the road to actually learning to care for somebody from the heart. And I think that is the key this morning. What do all 12 of those reasons, the bad reasons, have in common? What's the common theme there? What makes them bad reasons to give somebody a gift? Because they're all trying to accomplish something for my own benefit. It's a transaction in which we pay some cost to accrue some gain. And we're willing to give the gift because we think we come out ahead by having done that. Giving is simply the means to an end. My advantage. So here's where we turn the corner. How can we give gifts in a godly way? Those of us who have, those of us who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior have, in theory, uh, given up and renounced our own glory and benefit as our number one motivating priority. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God and do it with all your might. So how can we take this cultural custom and use it to glorify God? How can we elevate and redeem this cultural exchange into something that actually benefits the kingdom and serves to advance the gospel on an eternal scale? Jesus said that when you give your charitable giving to be seen by others, you've already received all the reward you're ever going to get. So how can we store up treasure in heaven by giving gifts? How can we turn this into an act of true Christian worship? This is where we're going with the rest of our time. First, God is the great giver of gifts, but never the recipient of anything from us. Second, we reflect God's image and character when we give gifts in a godly way, but we malign his image and character when we give gifts in an ungodly way. And third, what does it look like to give gifts in a godly way? What does that mean? How can we go about doing that? How can we apply this tomorrow night, Tuesday morning, and beyond? As always, it starts with God. God is the great giver of gifts. We know what it is to give because God has first given to us. The Bible is the history of God redeeming his people. And so it is filled with an overwhelming number of verses about God giving. At the most general and basic, God is the creator of all things and the author of all life. But once you accept the fact that we exist, God doesn't owe us anything as his creation. So we speak of common grace, those things that he has given directly or indirectly to all mankind, regardless of whether they love him or serve him or not. Things like medicine and music and rain and bacon wrapped bacon and the Madagascar film franchise, things that we call common grace. God also saw fit to reveal certain aspects of himself to us in nature. Romans 1 reminds us that we simply need to look at the heavens or look at the earth or look in the mirror and we can be pretty sure that some sort of divine power exists. Now we can suppress or disregard that knowledge, but it is inescapably available to all of us. But God didn't stop there. He spoke 
to us, speaking to his prophets and the writers of Scripture so that we could know things about him that we couldn't know without having been told and know things about ourselves, too. I'm sure you've probably had that conversation with your spouse, the mind reading conversation, the one that goes, you know, how am I supposed to know that the vacuum cleaner tracks are supposed to go like this and not like this? If you don't tell me, you can't just expect me to know things like that. Well, God is not like that. He has told us what he wants us to know, and he put it in a book and it's available in the iTunes store. But he wasn't content to stop there. God had bigger plans than simply creating the world and informing its inhabitants of his existence. The Bible tells us that God, being the most perfectly glorious divine entity in existence, wanted to be fully known by his people and have us know him as he truly is. Not just the partial picture that we get from creation, that he's powerful and sovereign and creator and holy, but the whole experience, also knowing him as good and merciful, gracious forgiving and pursuing. And so even before he created us, he ordained the means whereby we could come to know him fully. He would come as a man and pay the price for our sin, which ruptured our relationship so that we can be reconciled back to him. God sent his son into the world that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But how would anybody ever know that they needed a savior unless he went and told them. Why would anybody believe if they didn't know that they needed to? So more than simply giving us an opportunity and a path, an invitation, he also went out of his way to give us the ability to see that we need him. Apart from God's intervention, I was dead in my sin, blind to my situation, and unable to respond. But Jesus dying on the cross didn't change that. It didn't change my condition. But God gave us sight. He opened our eyes and removed the blindness caused by sin. He gives us life, making us alive in Christ. And in Christ, he gives his people every spiritual blessing that there is. Now, as I was preparing this message, my first instinct was to list all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And that ended up just being a very long list. So I thought, well, goodness, Paul does this better than I could in Ephesians chapter 1, which is just jam-packed full of all the things that God has done for us in Christ. But when you go there and you look at it, while it is quite full of blessings, there's a lot more that Paul could have said, which is probably why we have Ephesians 2 through 6 and the rest of the New Testament. So I went to Colossians thinking, hey, that is a short book and it'll be a preview of what we're going to do in the new year. Let's see what Colossians has to say about the gifts that God has given us in Christ. Well, again, it's like a list of 30 different things that made for a fascinating study, but terrible, terrible preaching. It wouldn't work at all. So we're going to do this instead. Sometimes you don't know how valuable a gift is until it's gone. So imagine with me in your mind, if you will, uh, what it would be like if God had saved us in Christ and given us grace and mercy and forgiveness and granted us to believe and granted us repentance and then left us to our own devices. We went back to life as usual. We would not have the spirit who, after having applied the work of Christ to us, would have nothing more to accomplish. There would be no sanctification, no growth in godliness, no power in prayer, no insight into his word, and uh, no strength to endure to the end. We would not have churches to belong to, church leaders to shepherd us, ministries to serve in, a mission to accomplish, or a purpose to achieve. 
God would not be using our natural life circumstances and giving us supernatural spiritual gifts to accomplish his work in us and through us. And we would have been given no power from God to overcome the remaining indwelling sin that still exists in our flesh. And worst of all, we would have been given no promises for the future. Nothing about resurrection or glory or freedom or the uh, restoration of the earth. But above all those good gifts that we would not have been given, but which we have been given in Christ, the greatest thing that we would be missing is God himself, because the greatest gift that God has given us is himself. We get to have God and have him as our father. This is why he made us, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. No other substitute can give the fulfillment and satisfaction that God alone can provide. God shows his love for us by giving us himself. We all like to make fun of that guy who thinks that he's God's gift to women, but really he's just a jerk with a spray tan and a necklace and a t-shirt three sizes too small. But God's gift to men and God's gift to women is himself because he's the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of the human soul. So that's what it means for God to be a giver, the great giver. It's his nature and his character to give according to his abundant riches. He doesn't give to us in order to get something for himself. Our praise and worship does not make him any more glorious than he already is. And we cannot give him anything as an offering that he did not first give to us. He gives to us for our benefit and to display his character and as an expression of his love for us. And that's the point for us this morning. We reflect God's character and image when we give gifts in a godly way, like he does. Now, obviously, we can't give on the same scale that he does, but we can give in like manner. Remember back to our 12 bad reasons for giving gifts. The motive was to get something for ourselves. It was essentially selfish. You know, maybe somebody else benefited, but that wasn't the point. So how can we turn that around and give gifts in a godly way? The same three ways... That God gives to us, gives to us for our benefit and to display his character and as an expression of love for us. So we, in turn, give gifts to others for their benefit. Our motive in giving should be to bless the recipient, not accomplish something for ourselves. And while we might enjoy giving or benefit from that in some way, that's not the point. It is wonderful to enjoy giving good gifts, but the purpose should be to bless the recipient of the gift. Second, we give as a means of displaying God's character, not to bring the attention to ourselves. Look at me. I'm giving gifts. I'm so godly. But to demonstrate the work that God has done in us to change us. Look at me. I'm giving you this gift. And it's a sacrifice to me. And I'm giving it because God has given me so much more. And he's changed me from being essentially self-centered to being somebody who can use my resources, my time, my energy, my money to serve him by serving you. Thirdly, we can give in a godly way by giving as an expression of the love and value and esteem and affection that we have for the recipient. If you've ever been in love or had a child, then you know what it is to just be so excited to be with somebody that you just have to give them something to complete and express that excitement. Now, turn all that around. When we give for the wrong reasons, for all the selfish reasons, uh, when we give somebody a gift in order to accomplish something for our own benefit, when we pervert and turn this godly giving upside down, we malign God's 
image and his character, and we are uh, stealing his glory. We testify with our actions the opposite of that which is true about him. When we give gifts in a uh, hypocritical and two-faced manner, we are doing the opposite of what we should be doing. We are trying to bless ourselves and not others. We're trying to enhance our own glory instead of God's, and we're giving as an expression of love and affection for ourselves rather than the recipient. This is the answer to why it is better to give than to receive. The world can help us understand that giving can be good, maybe even as good as receiving. Our own experiences can show us that giving can sometimes even be more interesting, fun, exciting, better than receiving. But even animated lemurs from Pixar can show us something about the joy of giving. But why would Jesus go all the way on to say, as a principle, in general, it is better to give than to receive? Because it is when we are giving freely, voluntarily, self-sacrificially, out of an expression of love for others. When we give in that way, we are reflecting God's character. Every culture has some sort of mutual gift-giving and receiving practice, and that is a leftover echo of the God who created us. And as Christians, we can take that echo and turn up the volume by giving in a godly manner on purpose. Now, hopefully, all of your Christmas gifts are pretty much purchased and wrapped and under the tree. And it's too late to change what you're giving to somebody. But it's never too late to examine the motives of your heart. And if you discover that your motives are, to some degree, mixed, then ask God to purify your motives so that you can serve him more faithfully. But there is an application of this that goes far beyond the uh, giving of gifts and onto the receiving of gifts. And that takes us full circle all the way back to Paul's curious thank you letter to the Philippians. Because when he's writing that letter of thanks, he uses these same three principles. First, he talks about how their gift has blessed him. And he is glad that they, as the givers, wanted to give him some blessing. Second, he talks about how their gift is a testimony to the work that God is doing among them and the growing character of God that is being developed in them. And third, he acknowledges that their gift was an expression of love and esteem and uh, affection that they have for him, the same that he has for them. So application doesn't get much more hands on than this. You're all going to receive gifts this week. You're all going to have the opportunity to write thank you notes, just like your mother told you. So make your mamas happy and write your thank you notes. But when you do, don't just say, hey, it was good to see you. Thanks for the puppy. Thanks also for the carpet steamer. We should get together and catch up sometime. Never. Okay? Give your thanks, but to the extent that you're able, also thank them for the um, generosity and the uh, thoughtfulness that is a reflection of God's character in them. Thank you for the desire on their part to bless you with that gift. And thank you for the affection and love that was behind the gift. And before we pray, let me close with this. If you want to know more about the gift that God has given us in Christ, please talk to me or Jeff or any of the other elders. We would love to talk to you about that. If you don't know the gift of Christ, his death and his resurrection that makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God, please talk to me. If you've known Christ for 30 years and you want to know what verses I use to come up with that list of gifts that he gave us before, please talk to me because this book is filled 
with all the things that God has done for us in Christ. And I didn't include all those scriptures because there were too many. But the book is full of them. And I would be happy to talk about that with you and all the things that God has done for us in Christ for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can uh, turn to your word, this small section of your word, these words from Jesus, and, uh, and that you've given us enough in the text that surround it to help us understand uh, what it is to be a gift giver that reflects your character. Thank you that we can understand what it is to truly uh, give a good gift because we have received the gift of Christ from you and the gift of life. And, uh, and the gift of your spirit. I pray that this week, as we celebrate Christmas, that uh, we would be able to give gifts in a manner that pleases you and glorifies you and reflects your image to those that we come into contact with. I pray that we can be uh, faithful in the way that we give these gifts so that we can uh, be intending to truly bless the recipients and that we can uh, give out of a true affection in our hearts for the people that are near to us and dear to us. And I pray that as we uh, move into the new year and beyond, that we will always be aware and grateful for the great gift that you have given us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.